Ephesians chapter 4. Just for any visitors, we're working our way through the book of Ephesians. And uh, we've reached verse 17 of chapter 4. And we're going to read from 17 just to verse 24. This is the word of God. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him And we're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regards to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. So reads God's precious and inspired word. God's Bible to the passage that we read before us. I really expected to have finished chapter four um, by this time in my preaching schedule. But there is so much in it. Because thus far, we've noticed Paul has been laying the foundations. And what he's been doing is, he's been speaking about the need within the church at Ephesus, and therefore within any church of Jesus Christ, the need for unity and the need for maturity. And we've seen that these past few weeks. In the verses that we read earlier, he brings, if you like, a third strand that I would argue is as equally important as the other two. And that is the purity of the local church. So he's touching on unity, he's touching on maturity, and he's now speaking about purity. And what we will see is that once again, he he lays kind of the foundations and then he goes on to clearly explain what this purity looks like, how it is to be lived out in the life of a believer. He is concerned not only about what these Christians believe, but how these Christians behave. As he said back in verse 1, he urges them, and that's a strong word that he used, he urges them to live a life 
that is worthy of the calling that they have received. Now, you're probably sick of me mentioning this. Um, I mention it many times, but, but I mention it because I really believe, brothers and sisters, it matters. And that is this. It does matter greatly how we live today as Christians. It matters greatly how we behave towards one another. It matters greatly how we act and behave to those we live with, to those that we work with, to those that we rub shoulders with. And we will see that Paul's got clear guidelines concerning all of these areas of life. Well, that's when we get to the second half of chapter 5 and on into chapter 6. You see, the idea, the thinking that there is no or little difference between a believer and a non-believer, as far as I can see, finds no basis whatsoever in Scripture. And Paul in these verses shows us just how big and how wide that difference really is. And he describes for us two ways of living. And before we look at the two ways of living, let's just notice the force behind what Paul is saying here. Verse 17 Paul is not here introducing some kind of, well, what I'm about to say might be a good thing for you to try and understand. No. He wants us to, he, he wants to grab their attention. He wants to grab their attention as to the seriousness of what he is saying. So he says, I tell you this. Indeed, he goes on further by saying, I insist on it in the Lord. And what Paul is doing here is he is, to use a phrase, he's pulling rank. He is an apostle. And what he really is saying in verse 17 is that he is reigning not just as an apostle, which was powerful and authoritative enough, but he is writing with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What he is about to speak of in the remaining verses are not some kind of steps to a good life for a few. It is how the Lord Jesus expects his people, all of his people, to live. It is practical theology and as an apostle as a church leader he kind of says it as it is and there are times when that authority when that God given authority needs to be exercised when tough things need to be said when what is said is not just kind of a take it or leave it. But as here, 
is actually an insistence. I urge you, I, I insist. There can be no doubt about that which Paul is about to say. It's not only foundational, but comes from the Lord himself. So we need to listen. And in some ways, it is rather quite simple and straightforward. And I trust that I don't complicate it. Because he's saying, he's saying to the church at Ephesus, and what I hear today would say the same to us here in Elgin. He's saying you, and it's in the plural, you, that is those who profess to follow Christ, must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So we live differently. You see, once we were dead in our sins, now we're alive in Christ. And that means living differently, not weirdly, okay? There's a difference there. But it means living differently. So let's see how Paul indeed has already noted what Jesus himself says about these two ways of living. Two, two very simple headings. Firstly, godless living. I found it really interesting as I was studying this, this week that many, many of the scholars point to the emphasis that Paul puts here not so much on a list of specific sins but with what one of the writers refers to as a distortion and disorientation of the mind. That's why I encourage you to have a Bible open. Look down at the verses. We see this in verse 17, where he speaks of the futility of their thinking. Verse 18, darkened in their understanding. Verse 18, the ignorance in them. Hardening of hearts, he speaks. Verse 19, the continual lust. Verse 22, deceitful desires. And as we look at that, and we contrast it with the believers, where we read that they, they heard of him, they were taught in him, and, and we'll cover that in, in, in our second point. But there's a focus here on the mind. Paul in Romans 1 uh, verses 21 to 25, I think it is, speaks in similar terms. And as one, one writer says this, both of these texts, the text here in Ephesians, the text in Romans, both of these texts view sin as a malfunction of the mind. And, and I have never really looked at it like that before. But as I thought upon it, kind of seemed rather logical. Because it speaks to me about our choosing. But our deciding to sin. See, in many ways, sins are not the cause of the problem, but the result. The problem lies in the mind and in the choices that we deliberately make against God and against his word and against his way. 
And again, I think Paul would echo that further, not just from Romans, but I think he echoes it and he backs that up, if I can use that phrase, in 2 Corinthians 4, because you recall in 2 Corinthians 4, he speaks there of Satan blinding the minds of the unsaved. So how do we get to that stage? Well, he tells us. The end of verse 18. Due to the hardening of our hearts. See, once we harden our hearts, it's a downward spiral. The hardness of heart leads to the darkness of mind and to the recklessness of the life that we live. Which, as verse 19 shows, leads to indulgence in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. One translation has it as this. They stop at nothing to satisfy their foul desire. It's not a very pretty picture. Don't shoot the messenger. <coughs> Shows us why we need brothers and sisters to take the to take to heed the warning of Psalm ninety five verse eight. Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's a very dangerous thing to harden our hearts. Do you remember how Pharaoh did it? And all that that brought upon Pharaoh and his nation? See, when we harden our hearts, it, it kind of speaks, doesn't it, of having, of having no feeling. It's a kind of moral unresponsiveness where you get to the stage where, well, everything and anything goes. Beware of having a hard heart. For if verse 18 traces the problem, the hard heart, look at verse 19. And you see the, the outcome of it. Does that not sadly sum up much of society today? Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. Read your newspaper. Watch the news and see if that does not speak into society today. And again, these are not just verses that Paul's plucking out here and, or some kind of theory that he's making from one, one bit because Romans 1, Romans 1 brings out the exact same kind of things here that Paul is saying. 
And as I said, sadly, it seems to me that there is not a great deal of difficulty bringing these verses into our contemporary situation. We hear only too often the continual lust for more. And it begins when we have it in our hearts. You may be saying, you might be sitting thinking, come on, Graham, ease off a bit. All of society is not like that. And that's true. However, it's important for us to grasp in these verses that this passage is not about human worth or ability or accomplishment. This is about rejecting the Gentile, the godless way of life. That's what these verses are about. It's not a rejection of the Gentiles as persons, but rather the godless life that they live. Paul is saying to those who once lived like that, you must no longer live as those who are not believers do. And just as I have done this week in study, we all need to look into the mirror that is God's word. We all need to look at ourselves first. We all need to be open and honest with ourselves and with God. We can hide nothing from him anyway. Do we have a hard heart? If so, we need to pray the words of that chorus. Soften my heart, Lord. Soften my heart from all indifference. Set me apart to feel your compassion. Yes, to weep with your tears. Come. Soften my heart, O oh Lord. Soften my heart. The godless life. So what should our life look like? What about the life of those who profess to be Christian? What should our walk look like? How different should it be? Well, let's take some time to look not just at the godless life and all the negativity that that brings, but the godly life and all the hope that is bound up in the gospel. If, as I suggested, the core problem is the mind through the hardness of the heart, then we need not only to have our hearts softened, but we also need to, as Paul writes in Romans 12, we need to have our minds renewed. And notice again how in these verses, Paul puts an emphasis on the mind. He speaks of, you heard of him. You were taught in him. Notice how Paul says, come to know Christ. 
He doesn't say, come to know about Christ. He says, come to know Christ. You see, Christianity is about a living relationship. You can know about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. You can know about Jesus without actually knowing Jesus and knowing him as the truth because he is the way, the truth, and the life. This is why, brothers and sisters, Bible teaching and Bible reading and Bible study is important. The better I understand the word of God in Scripture, the written word, the more I know Jesus, the revealed word. And this knowing Jesus brings newness. And Paul speaks of three images, if you like, to explain it. There is, as we've already noted, the, the instruction of the mind be, be, being taught. You, you see, please don't take this the wrong way. We do not leave our brains at the door when we come to know Christ. We're to engage. And so I urge you, can't quite insist on it as Paul does here, but, but, I, but, I, but I, I urge you, Spend time in the Word of God. Read your Bible. Study it. If not already, get along to a growth group. But notice how also in the verse, in verses 22 to 23, Paul also speaks of putting off the old and putting on the new. Something that Paul speaks of and, and many of his other letters, he speaks of it, for instance, in Colossians 3, Romans 6, Galatians 3, and other places. What's, what's he talking about here? Putting off the old and putting on the new. He is talking here, brothers and sisters, of transformation, of regeneration. He's talking here of new life that is only to be found in Christ. The, the, the old self, the old way ha, has been put off. It's been, it's been taken off. It's, it's been thrown away. Because it's corrupt. It's deceitful. But it's now gone if you are trusting in Christ. And in him, we are made new. And so this new self is put on. Sang a hymn last week church I was at last Sunday morning I hadn't sang for, for, for a little while when I was lost you came and rescued me reached down into the pit and lifted me then it goes on to say the old has gone the new has come hallelujah your love has lifted me you see our old garments tainted by sin praise God are gone and we are clothed in his righteousness. That's what Paul is saying. New clothes. How we love them, some loving them more than what others do. The freshness of them. The joy of going and buying that. New skirt, dress, suit, 
whatever. Putting it on. Well, if you're a Christian, you've been robed in the righteousness of Jesus. He's clothed you with his garments. Not only that, but we also see that we are created or we are recreated, we're reborn. Why? Well, well, well I, I find this staggering. Notice carefully, look, look down at verse 24. Verse 24 tells us to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Wow. Creation, being made new, kind of speaks, doesn't it, of, of the language of Genesis, of being made in God's image, speaks again of the language of Genesis. And we know from our studies way, way, way back in Genesis that, 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 that sadly... In Eden, through sin, that was marred. But now, in Christ, it's been recreated. I, 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 I really wish, pray, score out the wish, but pray, that, that I could adequately explain this. Oh, that we could fully grasp it, brothers and sisters. To know Jesus, not about Jesus. To know Jesus is to be in Jesus. To know Jesus is to be made new. To be in Jesus and to know Jesus is to be clothed in his righteousness. It is as we've seen in Ephesians, it is to be called, it is to be chosen, it is to be cleansed, it is to be forgiven, it is to be restored, it is to be filled and sealed with His Holy Spirit. That's what it means to know Jesus. Notice the contrast. The two ways. And there only are two ways talked recently about third ways and all the rest of it. There isn't. As far as the gospel goes, there's only two ways. There's the godless way and there's the godly way. The godless way is the continual lust for more and not just in a sexual manner, okay? That continual lust for more. The, the millionaire needs his next million. The iPhone 6 owner can't wait till the iPhone 7 comes out. The continual lust for more. <coughs> or the new way. Created to be like God. <laughs> in righteousness and in holiness. It speaks of the purity of how we live our lives. We now belong to him. We are dressed in his apparel. Therefore, we are to live lives here and now that reflect God's righteousness and God's holiness. Purity of life matters. That's Paul's whole argument here. He's saying, this is what you were. This is what you now are. 
Get rid of the old and keep on the new. And in the following verses, he begins to unpack what that means in various relationships and how we speak to one another and how we treat one another in the home and in the workplace and in various other areas. And we'll cover that whenever we come to it. But as I close, what we have here in these two verses, we are faced with the two ways to live. The godless life, which will never, ever be satisfied and one day will lead us to hell. Or the godly life where we know Jesus, where we learn of Jesus, where we are clothed in Jesus, where we are recreated in Jesus and one day we will be with Jesus. Today, not tomorrow, or next week, because none of us know if we've got tomorrow or next week. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for